and welcome to How To Be Successful with me, Vicky Paul. I'm an intuitive artist, energy healer and author and I'm on a mission to help you live with more joy, purpose and meaning. How To Be Successful is a straight-talking, heartfelt and enlightening podcast full of soul-centred wisdom, home truths, life-changing insights and free-flowing conversations with some of the most inspiring, knowledgeable and honest voices in well-being, spirituality, self-love and personal development. It's a show for people who are no longer satisfied chasing society's version of success because they're ready to embrace their gifts and thrive on their own terms. Hello and welcome to episode eight. My guest today is Emma J. Bell, an executive coach, best-selling author and resilience expert. Emma's expertise lies in the personal development of individuals and in relationship dynamics of senior teams. She's worked with thousands of leaders, managers and entrepreneurs to shift unhelpful thinking and behavioural habits so that they can be fully confident, focused and able to make the difference that they're capable of. Emma dedicated three years of her life to researching what makes us resilient and that research ultimately took her on a journey of over 35,000 miles to interview 50 thrivers from around the world who have faced extreme challenge and change and who are not just surviving but thriving. She shares those strategies and the stories of those involved in her best-selling book, Nine Secrets to Thriving. In this episode, we talk about resilience, one of the most important qualities of successful individuals, and also what it takes to thrive in life. Emma also shares some really helpful tips and advice that you can integrate into your life now. And before we jump into all the juicy bits, I was really keen to find out from Emma what a resilience coach does. Well, I guess it's someone who has spent three years of her life conducting a research project on the topic of resilience. Um, And that's me. It took me over 35,000 miles around the world. It had me interview 50 extraordinary people who have fundamentally changed my own life and my understanding of what resilience is and how we can all thrive every day. And I use those remarkable insights, not my insights, the thrivers' insights, to help people thrive every day in my executive coaching work and um, in work with leadership groups and actually in everything that I do, Vicky. So I think that's my fairly long answer. Long is good. We like to talk. I would love to know what happened from, you know, and I know having read up um, on your CV and whatnot that you were doing resilience coaching whilst working as a partner in a law firm. You were working in the corporate world and then you just decided to chuck it all in and travel 35,000 miles around the world. What was the story behind? So, yeah, as, as I think with everybody's life, um, there are very few times when you make such a shift like that. Shifts happen incrementally as they did for me. And actually, it was when I was made a partner in, in first law firm I was partner of that I started to push beyond the boundaries of employment law and being a traditional lawyer and um, really think about how could we as employment lawyers help managers support their people to fulfill their personal potential because I've always been passionate about how each one of us can fulfill what I believe is actually endless potential Mm -hmm. so just keep growing day in day out and I saw unlike I think any other employment lawyer at the time I think I'm just a rebel maybe by nature (laughs) Uh, a real opportunity that we were getting really close to all these leaders and managers and talking to them about the people issues they had and rather than use the stick 
I said, well, why don't we talk a little bit more about the carrot? Because human beings respond much more to constructive, positive, helpful engagement than they do to the others. So that happened, you know, way back in 1999. And that then uh, led me to set up a whole leadership development arm in one law firm and then in, in the biggest law firm in Scotland and, you know, do something that no other law firms were doing in the UK at the time, which naturally led on to me doing much more coaching with leaders, much more coaching with managers, and then really starting to focus on this idea of how people bounce back. So if I can just share what are our, the research projects working definitions for resilience and thriving, because I think it really helps your listeners and your viewers think about resilience, because we hear so much about resilience, but there's a specific definition for resilience. So resilience is defined as bouncing back. So when something bad happens, quote unquote, you know, we get an email in from a colleague, and it's that colleague that we think is really difficult and we just need to see the sender profile and it triggers us. It's the ability to bounce back to where we were emotionally, mentally, physiologically before that event happened. So that happens with the small email or the big events of our lives, you know, the, the death of a loved one, the diagnosis of a significant illness. Thriving, though, is like resilience on steroids. Thriving is uh, defined as part of our research project as bouncing forward mm -hmm. and that's using the difficult event large or small as grist to the mill as uh, using it actually to grow and become better than before as one of our thrivers described it so I had coincidentally become really passionate um, having faced a number of challenges in my own life about how we could become better than before in the face of charge, uh, challenges large and small so that all had become integrated when I became a coach while I was still a lawyer. And then I did leave the practice of law, left my, my role as a partner to become an employment judge. But also I was kind of one month an employment judge and then one month I was a coach because we managed to negotiate a very helpful contract. It was brilliant. Well, I just kept saying, I'm not, I don't want to be a judge full time, but if you let me be a judge and a coach and write my first book, then that would be awesome. And as with, you know, your listeners and viewers know when you're very clear about what you desire and how it is you want to make this your impact in this world and you will not compromise on that drive and that determination you know whatever it is whether it's quantum physics or the universe or the energy it, you know everything seems to align when it's for the greatest good to support you in making that happen and i have consistently found that that's the way so it's a series of steps vicky towards that transition that looks on the outside quite a remarkable transition but really just seemed to me to be the most natural evolution mm -hmm. Well, I don't know there's many judges that would have negotiated that. So um, I have to say your powers of persuasion or manifestation um, are pretty full on. And it's interesting that you talked about um, whether it's quantum physics or not, because regular viewers and listeners will know this is, you know, kind of more of a, a conversations on the spiritual side of life. And we don't really know each other that well. We were introduced through a mutual friend, thankfully. Um, and we've never really kind of delved into whether you believe in the spiritual side of life and whether that's part of what you do or you tend to stick in the more scientific or evidentiary based energy changes, shall we call them. So would you say that this is part of what you do in this, this thriving, this bouncing forward, which I love, 
is part of a spiritual process or is that very much part of and down to the physicality, the human element, the action element of who we are? So for me, the short answer is both. Um, I always say I'm not at all religious, but I am deeply spiritual. Mm -hmm. You know, I do have a fundamental belief that we're all connected spiritually. Um, and I was a lawyer, you know, mm -hmm. died in the wool. And so very left brain, um, very focused on what does the research say about that? And I always believe in meeting people where they are. So, you know, if you imagine that most of the work I do is in corporate life, I understand that world very well. I operated in that world and still operate in that world for the whole of my career. Mm -hmm. And I think, I don't think it's either or. I actually think our power lies potentially, it's at least my ability to make an impact and make the difference mm -hmm. lies in combining those two. And actually having some quite spiritual conversations mm -hmm. in, the, in the corporate environment. I had a workshop on Monday with leaders where we were speaking about the role and power of self-compassion in leadership. Um, and how what it means to be self-compassionate and how without self-compassion we can mm -hmm. actually develop a compassionate leadership style. And we moved on to the power of core beliefs and how those get in our way. And, and for me, the core beliefs, I, my whole first book was written around core beliefs and conditioning. And it does look at the research and what that says about the way your brain develops. Um, and I think that that left brain is really important if you want to bring people with you into a more spiritual conversation mm -hmm. because you have to meet people where they are. Which is lovely to hear that there are spiritual conversations happening in the corporate world. Now, I want to jump in because this story, you know, you've kind of scraped over it, but it sounds pretty fantastic. 35,000 miles, 50 different people to research a three-year project that has culminated in your book, Nine Secrets to Thriving. And I would love to understand where you come up with the idea for this, how this journey looked, how you found the people. And I've got more questions to come, but I'll let you answer that first. <laughs> So I always say this project found me in a way. Um, I was, when I was coaching and judging simultaneously, I uh, started to look for research that told us whether people who face different kinds of difficulties, different kinds of trauma, adversity, large and small, whether they were using the same resilience strategies to thrive. And I was working with a very eminent psychologist, Paul Hannum at the time, and we could find no research anywhere that focused on people who'd faced quite different kinds of adversity, but were consistently thriving by our definition. So there were lots of research in the area of cancer patients. There were lots of research in the area of people suffering from MND and so on, but nobody right across the board. And uh, I remember coming home one evening and saying to my lovely husband, Graham, I think I might give up my... Um, tenured judicial position with its final salary pension scheme and go off and do this research because I care passionately about this. And, you know, I, I, I just had an instinct, which is why I say this found me, I just had an instinct that there was something in this research, that if we were able to talk to a whole cross-section of people who were thriving in the face of diversity, that we might be able to find common resilience strategies that you and I could use to thrive in the face of that email coming from the colleague or whatever rejections we, we face during the course of our every day, every week. And so I did. Yeah, I went into 
my boss and said I'm stepping away because I wasn't allowed I, I wouldn't have been allowed to do both mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. I had to make a decision and I what felt did you, that, when you told him what did my oh, what well, did Graham say when you told him you were jacking it all in well actually I, I didn't I tell him I, I, engaged, I involved him in the oh, process okay. you know we're very much a team mm-hmm. and I said look I feel so deeply passionate about this I think there's an opportunity to really make an impact for a lot of people, but it's a research project. So I have to be puristic in the way that I approach it. So I can't approach it with the answer in mind. I genuinely have to approach it with an open mind. And there's always the risk that you go looking and you don't get an answer of any worth at all. Mm-hmm. You know? So in that sense, it was high risk. I have to say I'm very lucky because I have a husband who completely believes in me. Mm-hmm. And he said, if that is what you want to do, then I believe in you and, and let's do it. And mm-hmm. in fact, he came on the trip with me as my cameraman. Because we filmed all the videos, and I wouldn't have done it without him. Because I have to say that both of us have changed forever mm-hmm. through meeting these people. And you asked me, Vicky, how I found these people, and I have to say, in all the interviews I've done, talks I've done, that is the most common question: How did you find these people? And I'm afraid the answer is not glamorous at all. It is sheer grunt work, mm-hmm. because with every research project, you've got all these defined terms, and you have to just be very sort of puritanical in your approach. And it was just researching. So we, I think, started off with about 150 people um, who we found through contacts or through the internet or speaker bureaus or wherever it may be. And we wanted to try and um, approach all four continents so that it was as broad as possible. And, you know, there were some challenges with that. But then we had to take these, we had to approach these people and take them through the whole definitions and that disqualified loads of people. Ultimately, we came down to our 50 thrivers. And did this journey, I mean, you mentioned it was a three-year project. Did you take three years to do it or was it a period of time and then back um, to Scotland to do some of your kind of normal job, then back yeah. away and it kind of bounced back and forward? Yeah, so it was bouncing back and forward. But even when I was back in Scotland, I was working on the project because, you know, as you can imagine, there were hours and hours of recorded interviews that needed to be transcribed. And I had an amazing um, transcriptor, um, Josephine, who was just brilliant. And then I had to go through all the transcripts. And, you know, so it was a huge, huge uh, piece of research work. And also I was doing my coaching when I came back and uh, various other things. So, yeah, it wasn't as, as nice of that would have been to just continuously be away um it also just took a phenomenal amount of organizing as you can imagine yeah and how soon into the project did you start to see similar veins or did you wait till everything was accumulated and then go through it all and file all into all the different or the nine secrets i guess so it's a great question i i started to have a very strong sense Mm -hmm that um, there were these themes I was hearing again and again as I interviewed people and I had to really read myself in and stick with the open questions and you know um, be consistent in the way that we conducted the interviews and so on so that I wasn't suggestive um, and uh, yeah but I really started to feel fairly early on the same themes were coming through and coming through and coming through and, and getting super excited about that mm-hmm. I'm thinking my god you know, not only are these stories incredibly inspiring, 
But we're going to have a body of research here that allows you and I to know, well, today I'm not thriving. Okay, which of the nine secrets do I need to apply? Ah, it's that one today. And, and really engaging with that so that I could thrive today. Because thriving, you know, you read the book and it, it, or listen to the book and it's not a constant state. We're always like this. We just, I mean, our aim in life is that those undulations become, become more shallow. Um, but, but life happens and we respond to what happens. And it's about being able to bounce forward more quickly. Can you give me some examples just for the listeners and, and viewers of some of the stories of the people involved so that maybe it relates to them? Because trauma, and that's another question I'd love you to ask, you know, trauma, what do you consider a trauma? Because maybe somebody watching has a different perspective of what trauma is. So I'd love to understand what that is in your definition and is your understanding given these 50 or 150 people that you, you sort of researched? Okay. So um, I'm going to share a story with you, first of all, which is certainly trauma. And then I'm going to answer your question. Okay. If that's okay. So if I, if I choose a story, I mean, there, there are 50 to choose. So I'm going to choose Kia Share because she pops into my mind straight away because I, I love one of her insights. I think is immediately um, applicable to us. So Kia Share, I met, I interviewed in Florida, which was quite nice because it was January in Scotland and, and minus one. <laughs> nice. Well, and um, so Kia was married to Alan and Alan and she had a 13-year-old daughter called Naomi. And the plan was that she, Alan and Naomi would go off to Mumbai on a meditation retreat. However, Kia had to stay, stay behind in Florida to look after her mum. And so Alan and Naomi went off to Mumbai and it was a Wednesday lunchtime and Kia told me she was making tea for her and her mum to sit down and watch Oprah Winfrey on the TV and the, and the phone went. And it was one of the other women in Mumbai at the Oberoi Hotel where Alan and Naomi were also staying who just yelled down the phone that terrorists had taken over the hotel and the phone went dead. And Kia told me that she fell to her knees when she got that call. And she spent the next two days just trying to find out what was happening to her husband and daughter. And on the Friday late morning, news came through that both Alan and Naomi had, had been murdered in those attacks. And I still can't tell the story. No, I'm getting well enough myself. Without being moved. But as with all of these stories, you know, they're massively touching, but they're hugely uplifting mm -hmm. because I interviewed Kia not so long after those terrorist attacks and here she was she'd satisfied her definition she was thriving she'd been to Mumbai she had met other people who'd lost loved ones in the attack she'd written a book I mean she's just like a being of light she's incredible mm -hmm. and you know we get down to the part of the interview where I say okay well talk me through what your journey was from the most devastating loss I can imagine to where you are now and what were the insights the practices, the strategies that you apply to get to where you were now. And there are a number of them. And in fact, uh, Audible are the publishers of this book. Uh, and, and I went with them because they had such a vision for the production. And we have 28 of the thrivers speaking on the book. And Kia is one of them. And you hear her voice and she's so calm. And so she shares her insights. But, but there was one that I, I use every single day. In fact, many, many times a day. And she told me a story of a few weeks after she heard that Alan Naomi had died and she was still reeling from the trauma. She was asked to attend a press conference in Florida and it, she did it as a favour to the Synchronicity Foundation who'd organised this. So she's in this press, I mean, there are hordes of journalists in this press hall and one of the journalists said to her, how can you ever forgive the people who murdered your husband and daughter? And you know what she said? She said, 
there is nothing to forgive. These people were doing the best they could with the thinking they had at the time. Now, she wasn't condoning on any level what they had done, but she said to me, I wanted to honour the deaths of my husband and daughter, and the only way I knew how was to choose the narrative before the narrative chose me. And if we know anything about the way our brains work, in the face of, and this goes on to your second question, what is trauma? Actually, I mean, there's lots of definitions of trauma you probably know, but for the purposes of Nine Secrets to Thriving, for me, I like to use the word adversity instead of trauma because I think it's so much more applicable to what we all face every day. Mm -hmm. And obviously there are life-changing adversity, but the book was intended to help people to actually thrive and be their best selves in the face of the kinds of every day, every week, every month adversities, as well as the big, the big things. And, you know, she she said, and I think this choosing the narrative is so important because when stuff happens, we go into our subconscious mind and we just react in the way we always have. And she said, it's so important, Emma, to be really conscious whenever you face any difficulty of choosing the story. Mm -hmm. And her story is we're all doing the best we can with the thinking we have. I believe that's a true story. Yeah. Um, but also there could be other stories about relationships or about challenges you have, about the request to go and do a presentation. If you get asked by your boss to go and do a presentation, your brain's going to make up a story about that, which is not going to be very constructive unless you happen to believe you're brilliant at them. And so it's really consciously choosing the story, the narrative all the time. Mm -hmm. And the other insight she uh, provided was it's as important to feel the difficult emotions as it is to feel yeah. the good emotions. So I, I don't believe in pop psychology, I'm afraid. I think mm -hmm. that we're much more um, sophisticated as human beings than that. And she was saying, you know, if, if you have a, a difficult meeting, feel the disappointment, feel the frustration, don't block it out. And through this research, one of the models I came up with was the AVA model, which is the importance of acceptance, first of all. So really accepting your reality, not pushing away, not denying it, but accepting it all. And then V, really validating how you feel. If you feel the pain, name the emotion, give it a colour, see how it feels. And then only A, are you only move on, able to move on and take action at that point? So the acceptance and the validation needs to be fully in place before you're able to take the right mm -hmm. action. And Kia and all of the thrivers were a big part of these kinds of models that, that come up. Do you know, it's, it's so interesting to hear you talk in this way because it's, I talk about this in my book, How to Be Successful, and I come at it from a more spiritual or more energetic place because that's where I'm coming at it from and it's the exact same thing and I do I say it to clients that all of these emotions are energy and that energy needs to be released in some fashion constructively if possible but we're all human and we you know we don't always adhere to that but it, it's just you know society for so long has made us squash everything down you know, not to be too over the top, not to allow grief, not to get angry, not to express ourselves for fear of recrimination or it just doesn't, you know, fit in. It's not, you know, the right way to behave. And, and even if you've been brought in a very open environment and an open family with open friendships, um, there's definitely that kind of history, that sort of karmic DNA that comes from us, you know, in past lives, from communities, we pick up on the energy of our community as much as our own peers. So it's really interesting that there's a, a sort of more corporate structure to that principle that I hold very dear. Um, 
And what an amazing story. Um, and I guess your book is a step-by-step -step guide. Do the nine secrets, do they incrementally move you one stage to the other? Because there might be people um, listening and watching this who say, well, you know, that woman obviously was an amazing woman from the get-go. You know, she wasn't just like you or me and had this mm. horrific experience and out of the depths of nowhere just decided to be the most loving, forgiving, open individual, you know. So without giving away the book because I want people to go and listen to it and I love the fact that you've done it as an audio book rather than um, you know a, a traditional book book because you know how well sound um, creates and stirs emotions in a way that sometimes our own imagination is limited and, and doesn't allow us to do that so it's lovely that you've done that because I work with sound as well um, so without giving too much away mm. Can you tell us um, or, or sort of allude to some of those secrets and how that system works? You know, could you jump in and go, right, I'm going to go to the eighth secret. Yeah, yeah. You need to start from the beginning. So let me just address the one point first, which is a very good point, and I was alive to this, and that is, were these people just born more resilient than you and I? Were they just calmer? Were they just more spiritual? Um, and I checked that out on every interview as well. And almost without exception, every thriver said to me they did not see themselves as particularly resilient before these major adversities struck. And they were no different from you and I. And having met them all um, and, and been moved by them all, I can see myself in them all. I can see you in them all. I can see my neighbour in them all, mm -hmm. you know, so... Yes, of course, there are people who are perhaps spiritually more advanced than us, but I'm pretty satisfied that all of the thrivers were you and I, you know, and and, and I think that's where their power lies. Um, in terms of the nine secrets, no, they're not. They're deliberately not incremental. The first secret, though, I do think if I was to be asked which is the one that none of us can do without, I would say it's the first secret and it's the self-care. And it's not about exercise, nutrition. It really is about a mindset. And the mindset is the I matter mindset. And what does that mean? Um, so I think, you know, actually we cannot thrive in any way, shape or form unless we really consciously hold dear our emotional, mental and physical well-being. And, mm -hmm. and we've got thrivers who, who talk about that. Mm -hmm. So I do think that's one of the foundation um, thriving principles. Uh, we have support and connection and actually what that means to live in a, a thriving community with your thriving five and, and so on. And we've got the stories that, that talk about that and also talk about our tendency to isolate as human beings when we do face difficulties and to pull back. And I know I did that for big chunks of my career. Um, and authenticity is another one of them, which I hold dear to my heart. It's what my first book's all about um, and, and how to show up authentically and how to show up vulnerably and, and that we can't actually thrive or, or build thriving relationships without that. Um, but, you know, and, and another one is purpose. Another one is gratitude. You know, we've got the choosing perspective, which is all about the mental resilience piece. We've got peace and calm. So they're not incremental. There are a couple that I think are foundational. But what I do, so when I'm coaching and really listening to someone immediately, I think, oh, it's purpose. We need to focus on purpose here because actually mm -hmm. that's where the deficit lies. Mm -hmm. Or I'll be coaching someone else and I'll be thinking it's an element of authenticity we need mm -hmm. to work on here. Um, and and that's, that's the way the book is written and recorded it will be out as a as a hard copy of the book once we're we're through the, the exclusivity period for audible but i really wanted it out as an audiobook first because mm -hmm. we've got the 28 driver voices 
So, so I am excited about it being a traditional book because in some ways that's easier to use as a handbook. Because yeah. you know, all of the reviews, all the feedback I've had is this is like a handbook. When's the hard copy coming out? Because <laughs> you do want to think it's a Tuesday morning and it's wet outside and I just feel flat and I can't get my mojo back. What's the one thing that I can do? And so even though there are sort of nine secrets, within those nine secrets there are maybe 47, 48 practices, and you could <laughs> literally flick to one and go, that's it, that's what I need to do. <laughs> And by way of a small example, I know you're going to jump in, but when COVID first came in, I mean, I'm a speaker and writer. I was out, you know, away from home three nights a week mm-hmm. doing stuff. And my diary just went, you know, a tumbleweed floating through my diary. And the question I asked myself is, what would the thrivers advise me to do? Mm-hmm. And immediately I got my answer. So that's kind of what I hope the book is, is useful for. I love all of it. And I'm really, I haven't listened to it. And it's something, you know, because I interview so many people and I've got so many books to read. And I'm just like, oh my, I kind of dip in and flick. But I like the idea of it um, being an audible book because I like to listen when I'm painting and doing other things. But I'd love to understand, you know, thriving is a really interesting word because so much is bandied about, about an abundance, you know, life and, you know, life full of joy, purpose and meaning. Thriving allows us to explore beyond, I guess, our dreams, our wildest imagination, and it will be very different to everybody listening and watching. But in terms of getting your head around thriving, because you you spoke earlier on about the the first one about self-compassion, you know, what struck me and what came into my head when you were talking about that was self-worth and feeling that you are worthy of, valid of this jumping forward life, this thriving lifestyle. So, so when you talk about thriving, you know, what do you mean by that? What does that look like? And how can you help people connect with that word? Because sometimes I feel when, I, you know, especially when I'm talking to clients and you might find this as well with you through your coaching practice is that people are so stuck. So in, the, you know, an old narrative, someone else's narrative, you know, society's version of who they should be, that they actually don't know what their passions are and, and what a life of thriving could potentially look like. So I guess what does thriving mean? And, and you know, is there anything that in your research and your understanding and, and as a coach that you can help people with to sort of feel more connected with that word and moving towards that? So I think you touched on it. And that is, it's about self-worth and self-belief and self-esteem. We need to believe that we matter enough to deserve a thriving life. And in fact, I've said self-care is the foundational secret. And actually within that, we have, how do we love ourselves? How do we build our self-esteem? And we have stories of incredible thrivers like Lee Davidson, who was sexually abused, brought up by drug-addicted parents, and yet learned how to love herself and the book is very practical so it'll give you actions you know this is what self-love means and this is how you get it so i think the starting point for us all is to know that we matter and that we deserve as much as anyone else a life in which we thrive whatever that means to us and then we move on to starting to create that picture in our minds about what a thriving life means for us. And that picture will still be too limited Mm -hmm. in the sense that it will still be smaller than what we're capable of, but it's a great place to start. Um, And so, and you know, I I, I do that a lot in coaching, just just helping people take them to the first first thriving picture and and split that down into actions and um, visions and how do we get there? 
So I think that's part of it. But also, I think there's a very practical use of thriving. You know, as I, I've said, the research project to find thriving is how do I bounce forward from this? Mm-hmm. So it's very practical in the face of every little setback. The question is always, how can I grow? How can I bounce forward? What's the one action I can take? But I would use AVA. I wouldn't go straight to action. I'd go, okay, this mm-hmm. has happened. What does it mean? And how does it make me feel? And that's okay to feel that way. I'm not going to feed it. I'm not going to become a victim, but it's okay to feel that way. Now, what's the one thing I can do that's within my control or influence to move things forward? So you've got that. Actually, we can all thrive in the face of whatever life throws up. That's mm-hmm. that I have no doubt. I mean, I coach people with terminal cancer, people who've lost loved ones to suicide and so on. And if the book teaches us one thing it is that we can all thrive regardless of what life throws at us and I think Mm -hmm. that belief and the inspiration and the stories is like rocket fuel Mm -hmm. and then we go back to well why me because I deserve it okay well how do I get out of those limiting belief patterns of not being deserving not being enough well you move through these actions you build self-love self-esteem self-worth and then you start to build a picture of what thriving life looks like for you. It's such a, it's a topic that I, I just love and is kind of close to my heart, my own experiences and everything that I teach. And it's very much about, and my belief is that, you know, we are spirit beings in a human body. We've been here any number of times and we came into this lifetime to experience what we're going through. And that is the good, the bad and the ugly. And that can be very difficult if you've come from an experienced trauma in your life. But the moment we take responsibility for everything that happens in our lives, the moment you take the sting out of the tail and you become, you have, you're not beholden to it. You're not, you, you don't have that victim mentality. It's interesting that you talk about that. Can you just briefly touch on how you work if anybody watching or listening wants to get in touch, either from a corporate perspective or a personal perspective? Okay, so, well, simply because there's only one of me and I'm so busy, I, t- I do, I, I've had to pause on the one-to-one stuff and ah, okay. corporate stuff. Um, but I think it's a great question because if I will, won't take on a coaching client without doing an interview first because mm-hmm. I need to obviously understand the goals. I need to make sure the chemistry is right and there's trust between us. But I think even more important than those two things, people need to want to change and believe change is possible. And what I know as a coach of 17 years, 18 years now, is that if people don't really want to change, they may say they want to change and intellectually, but but they don't really want to change because they're still getting too much from the old way. The pain isn't enough yet. Or if they don't believe change is possible. And the, I can do more with the, if they don't believe change is possible because that's usually about conditioning and limiting beliefs and stuff. So we can work on that. But if we've got that, then we can move on. And there's one thing you said about that range of adversity. One thing I think is really, really important to say is that no matter what the adversity is, it doesn't matter if it's small in anyone else's eyes. All that matters is it's affecting you in a way that's preventing you from bringing your best self to your life. Then that's enough. Validate your own pain and suffering without feeding it. And then move on to the action. And then, of course, when I when I meet, mean, I I fundamentally believe as a coach that if, so. If you were my coach and client, okay, I would say to you very clearly, you already have everything you need mm-hmm. to be your best self. 
Um, all that I'm doing is acting as a facilitator and working with you. And sometimes that will involve being acutely aware of the mental blocks that you have, of the conditioning that you have, of the stories you're telling yourself and flagging those up. Sometimes that will be talking to you about some additional ways of working or skills or and so on, or, or maybe models that you haven't heard of that might help clear those mental blocks. But I'm very clear that there's no dependency on me in this relationship. You already have everything that you need. And I think that's super exciting <laughs> and oftentimes people don't have the confidence to see that and confidence is something I work on a lot with coaching clients as you can imagine in the corporate mm -hmm. environment and that comes down to self-belief it comes down to core beliefs and this is where I go to the research-based stuff because I've, I've my whole book was written all about how the brain works so if this is the brain and all of the neural pathways we have and how you reshape those as well as bringing the more spiritual dimensions to it um, so yeah it's a combination of those two things but you already have everything you need to be my message. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. If you'd like to find out more about today's guest, then please check out the show notes. And if you'd like to connect with me, then head over to my website, vickypaul.com, or you can find me on Instagram at vickyjpaul. Why not take advantage of a special subscriber-only 10% discount off my personalised soul portraits and intuitive readings, all you need to do is get in touch using the promo code PODCAST21. That's PODCAST21. And don't forget, you can buy my book, How To Be Successful, available anywhere that you buy books, or you can also get it via the link in the show notes. Make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And please continue to share this podcast with anyone you think might find it useful. I'd also really love if you could write a review because that helps myself and my guests get discovered by more kindred spirits. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.